Wow, it's so great to be here, and uh, you know, this is, uh, um, I kept telling Steve, you know, when am I going to get to preach in the new building? And uh, we had a plan last summer for me to do that, and, uh, but the, you know, construction delays and all that kind of stuff uh, uh, altered that plan, and so I'm just really honored to be here today, and, uh, and before I read God's Word, I just want to say a few things about your church and just uh, and about your church leaders. Um, uh, Steve and Lauren are, are just a great couple, tremendous, and you all know that, tremendous uh, leaders, and uh, Steve's heart for pastoring people and teaching God's Word and, and seeing churches get healthy and planted are just, uh, uh, are just um, invaluable, and uh, you, need, you need to know that. And, uh, and just to watch, to watch uh, and work with the, on an intimate level with your leaders and with uh, a lot of the campaign uh, people, um, I want to say that, uh, you know, this is one of the, one, you know, I, I look, I, when I meet with your elders, your elder team, that they're some of the most solid, mature leaders uh, in, in such a young church. And uh, it's just, uh, it's really an honor, honor to be here. And and I don't know if you know the stat. I don't know. I'm sure they've told you the stat, but I just actually got the final stats on the capital campaign. And SJ here was part of part of leading that effort and leading the team. And uh, um, but uh, I think you guys, you know, pledged a certain amount, and you raised like 97.9 percent of what was pledged. Now you need to understand that's unheard of. Okay, that's unheard of. And, uh, and so way to go, way to go, trailhead, way, way, to, way to be generous, way to give, way to sacrifice, because many of you sacrificed for the first time. Many of you gave sacrificially for the first time, and, uh, and, and that is, is such a journey. Um, I've, been, I've been in our church plant that we planted, we did four campaigns, so, and then the, the church that we're actually lay people in now that we attend They've done three campaigns. So for the last 21 years, I've been involved in capital campaigns. And so understanding that, giving sacrificially and, and, uh, for, 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 great, for great causes and uh, to see the kingdom move forward uh, and to see your church have a home, right? But it's just not a home. It's, it's a base of operations to reach this community, this region, this country, and ultimately the world, with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, way to go, Trailhead. And uh, we're so glad to be partnering with you. And uh, we're embarking on a 10-year vision that we're going to hopefully see hundreds of churches started here in the Midwest. We're going to see thousands of churches started around the world. And we're going to see, we're gonna see hopefully, you know, th- tens of thousands of children being cared for. Uh, and, and, radical, and we address the radical poverty uh, in, in the third world countries in which we work. And so uh, we're very, very excited. Converge is all about starting and strengthening churches. Starting and strengthening churches. And that's our, that's our dream, that's our goal, that's our passion. And uh, because ultimately, when we do that, and we do that well, it means lives, individual lives are being transformed by the power of God. And, uh, and pastors are being unleashed, and the gospel is going forward. 
Well, if you have a Bible, you could open it to Isaiah 64, and we're our scripture text today. <clears throat> our topic is dangerous prayers. Dangerous prayers. And this is, uh, we're going to read all 12 verses of this prayer that the prophet Isaiah um, wrote and prayed. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that, that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all show up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls in your name or strives lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and you have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland, and even Zion is a wasteland, and Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where ancestors praise you, has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep yourself silent and punish us beyond measure? This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just bow our hearts before you. And we come as your children, wanting to hear you speak to our hearts. Wanting you to speak through the power of your word. And so we come in humility and we submit ourselves to your teaching. And Father, for those of us who need a word of encouragement, I pray, Father, that their, their spirits would be just filled with encouragement from your word. For those who might need a word of correction, I pray, Father, they receive it from you. And I pray, Father, for those maybe need a word of challenge. Need a challenge in their prayer life. Need a challenge in their relationship with you. Need a challenge in their relationship with your mission. Father, may they receive it from you. May we all hear your voice clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My wife and I, we live in... Uh, uh, Northern Illinois, and uh, so we, we kind of jockey between a few airports. Uh, we fly out of Milwaukee sometimes, sometimes we fly out of Midway. I'm a, I'm a Southwest Airlines addict, okay? So I'm, I'm on a different flight, sometimes two flights a week somewhere, and that's part of being, having a regional ministry. But uh, so we've gotten, our, we've gotten all these points, and so our daughter lives in California, 
And uh, so we'd fly her back, and, uh, and sometimes we'd fly her into Milwaukee, sometimes we'd fly her into Midway. And they're, they're, they're a good, you know, um, hour and a half apart from each other. And so, and we kind of are right in the middle. So we went to get my daughter, we, we flew her home for Christmas, and we went to get her, and uh, um, it was a late flight, came in at like 12, you know, 11.55 at night, and so my wife and I turned on the Christmas music and drove up to Milwaukee to pick up our daughter. And uh, we got there, and I te- she goes, she texts us, oh, I landed. I said, oh, great, I'll meet you, by the, meet you by the baggage claim area. So, boom, you know, we're getting there. She goes, she goes uh, I asked her, which baggage claim area at Chad? She, she said, uh, baggage claim eight. And so I'm walking through the airport, and this is Milwaukee airport, walking through, and looking for baggage claim eight. There's only six. And I'm like, what's going on here? So, so the texting turned into a phone call, okay? Like, where are you? Because she's like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? you know, they're doing this whole conversation, right? And then I, she goes, I am where I always am. I'm going, baggage claim eight. I'm going, there is no baggage claim eight. And I'm, I'm thinking that they put another one in the airport somewhere else. And I'm and so finally I said, what airport are you at? She goes, I'm at Midway. And I went, Ugh. I mean, have you ever happened to you that, that you discovered something, you did something, where you just had this groan of frustration? You just want to just, oh, why did I do that? Why did that happen to me? Has that ever happened to anybody else here? Okay. I share that story because that's the emotion behind this text. This prayer that Isaiah is, is praying. And actually, you know, the prophets, you know, they, they spoke the word of God to their generation. And then sometimes they predicted the future. Okay? And what Isaiah is saying here, he's saying, he says, he's basically telling God's people, he said, you know, there's a looming, dangerous empire that is, is ready to attack you. And, and I'm, I'm holding them off, but here's the deal. If you guys don't get your act together... You're going to end up praying a prayer like this, a prayer of frustration, a prayer, a prayer of deep angst, deep, powerful emotion. And so we're going to, we're going to talk, talk about this, because here's the thing. There's nothing more frustrating. I think the, the tech, there's nothing more frustrating than feeling like your prayers have gone unanswered, right? These are people that are they're wrestling with God. They're wrestling with God over their, over their situation. And I think we can learn, learn a few things. What are dangerous prayers? Dangerous prayers come from moments of deep frustration and seasons of brokenness. It's, those, it's in those moments when we pray. We pray to, to discover God's light. We want to experience God's light in our soul. We want to experience God's power in our lives. And we, we, we have a deep need to just understand God's direction for our lives. These are, this prayer is kind of a dangerous prayer because it's a wrestling out with God what's going on in their lives. And God wants us to wrestle things out with Him. And so we're going to look at what I call five conditions. Five conditions um, for dangerous prayers. And the first condition is this. We need to run towards God. We need to take whatever we're experiencing, whatever we're going through, and we just need to run towards God's throne of grace. 
And we see this here. We, we, see, we see that. Look at, what, look at what he says. Oh, uh, uh, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. My, my, translation, my, my translation of that is, oh God, will you just show up? Have you ever prayed like that? You ever said that verbally? God, would you just show up in this situation? Will you move in this situation that, that, that number one, I can see that it's clearly you and you at work? You see, here's the problem. When we face issues and problems and, and uh, temptations and difficulties and tragedies, here's the deal. When we run away from God, none of that will ever make sense. The only way you'll ever make sense in life, life's difficulties, life's struggles, life's challenges, is when you run towards God. Running away from God will just compound the problem. Look at what they do. They, they, ran, to, they ran towards God, and they, they said these bold things. They said the first thing they did is they ran to God to remove the barriers. They said, God, move, move the mountains. Make the mountains tremble. Just lift up these mountains, these problems, these obstacles, and just remove them. You're big enough to do this. I do some backpacking with my, with my sons, and, you know, I've hiked around mountains, and, and uh, you know, they are obstacles. <laughs> And you do it one step at a time. I always do the hiking prayer, you know. Lord, just give me one more step, right? Just one more step. Uh, but they're mountains, right? They're obstacles. Remove the barriers. Then he talks about setting fires. God, will you set fire? Set fires in my heart and in people's heart that will, that will, that will burn purposely. Look at what he says. As when twi- fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. See, a lot of people get on fire for the Lord, but then they flame out. Right, And what he's talking about here is a, a purposeful fire that produces something. And then, he's, and then, he makes, then ultimately, he, 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 they ran to know God. They wanted God's name to be known. Come down, make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. F.B. Myers says this, the greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer but unoffered prayer so the number one condition for us to have dangerous prayers we just need to run towards god based on our confidence on who christ is and what christ has accomplished for us and the access that he provides to us to the father we need to run towards god with whatever we're struggling with whatever decisions whatever challenges whatever tragedies Whatever difficulties, we bring them to God because God loves to hear our voice. He loves to feel our hearts. So the number one condition is run towards God. Then the second condition is this. Um, We need to learn to wait on God. Look what he says here in verse 4. He says, since ancient times no one has heard no, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Now, I don't know about you, but I, perp- I, I personally hate waiting. Anybody here? Come on, be honest. You're quietly nodding your head. Be bold about it, okay? We all hate waiting. You know, I mean, we live, this is our culture we live in. I mean, how many of you have been behind a car that's in front of you, right? 
and the light turns green, and they pause a moment. And you have behind them went, beep, beep, get moving, right? I mean, we've all done that, and I, I've had it done to me. I mean, we all hate waiting. I'm, I'm the guy that walks up to the elevator when everybody's standing around the elevator, waiting, and the little light's white, and everybody's waiting. I bust through the crowd, and I push the button, thinking I'm going to get there faster than anybody else. I mean, I, I hate waiting. And, and, but, you know, when I understood this, it, the, to understand the, the, what it means to wait on God, actually this word could be translated to hope in the Lord. To hope in the Lord. Waiting, waiting on God is this, it's, 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 and I got the definition up there, waiting on God is clinging to God like your life depends upon it with a deep expectation that God is going to show up. It's, it's hanging on to God in, in faith, in courage, and just clinging on to Him like your life depends upon it with a deep expectation that God is going to show up. Let me kind of illustrate this to you. I, I live in, like I said, in northern Illinois. Uh, we're about four miles from Six Flags Great America. Anybody ever been to the Sixth Grade? Okay, great. And, uh, and so when the first time I took my son there, he was 12, and he said, Dad, if we're going to Six Flags, I know there's a Six Flags here too, isn't there? Yes. And uh, if we're going to go to Six Flags, Dad, um, we're going to need to do the roller coaster challenge. I said, well, what's that? And he said, that's riding every roller coaster in one day. And I said, there's no way we're going to be able to do that. I mean, you know, you know what it's like, right? It's a, it's a, it's a three-hour wait for a three-minute ride, right? And I said, how, there's 12 of these roller coasters. How could we do that? Dad, let's just go for it. Come on, be bold, Dad. Let's go for it. So me and my son did it. We got, got in there. We ran to the first one. Did the next one, the next one, next one, next one, you know, and boom, by five o'clock, we got them all accomplished. I'm still waiting for my little certificate, okay? And, uh, and I just had, you know, massive headache. I just wanted to find a little patch of grass to take a nap on, you know, because we had another five more hours left in the park, right? And because uh, we had to do the whole thing. So uh, and my dad said, my son said, Dad, we're not done yet. And I'm going, what do you mean we're not done yet? 12 roller coasters, 12 rides, I'm done. He goes, Dad, you got to ride the, the, the giant drop. I'm like, you know, there's this, I said, what's that? He goes, he points to this huge tower in the middle of the park, right? And it's basically, it's got, you know, it goes up 265 feet in the air, and it has, uh, you know, chairs all around it, takes you straight up, and then drops you straight down at about 65 miles an hour. And so I said, okay, we will go on the giant drop. So we get in line, you know, going through, going through, and I'm, I'm talking to the 15-year-olds who are running the thing, okay? <laughs> Feeling really safe. <laughs> and uh, so we're going through the line, and they get us strapped in, and, uh, and we're sitting there, and there's all this nervous chit-chat going on and on, and there's... There's my son, me, and there's two, two young ladies. And, uh, and the, the one friend, the one young lady sitting next to me, is telling her friend, you got to lift your hands. You got to lift your hands. It's so much better if you lift. I'm like, get a life, kid, you know. I'm hanging on to dear life. <laughs> so we're going, and so all of a sudden, 
We're starting to go up, 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 and there's literally all this nervous chit-chat. People are talking. They're talking to their neighbors, talking to their friends, and we're going up and up and up and up, and you know you're high in the air when the birds are flying underneath you. And we keep going up and up and up, and then you get to the top, and you hear this ka and then it's dead silence because everybody knows what's going to happen, right? And all of a sudden, it's three, two, one, whoo's, you're, you're going down, I'm, I'm hanging on, I'm hanging on. You know, I'm a big guy, and I'm glad I was strapped in, because my butt came out of the seat a little bit. And, and you're, you're hanging on, I'm gripping onto the sides, just clinging onto the sides, and you're, you're, it's one of those things where you're trying to scream, and you can't scream, right? Yeah, and I'm hanging on, hanging on, and we're going down, getting closer, the cement's getting closer, and closer, and closer, and closer, and all of a sudden it goes, whoo. And it stops. Then it's dead silence. And everybody realizes they're alive. And they go, oh, that's so cool. Let's do it again. And I'm going, oh, man, thank God I'm alive. Why did I ride this stupid thing? But you know what waiting on God is? Waiting on God is that time between three, two, one, and thank God I'm alive. It's clinging onto God. Like your life depends upon it with a deep expectation that he's going to show up in our lives. And see, that's how we pray dangerously, is learning to wait on God during those seasons where God's not hearing us. You know, God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and slow. Okay? Or another pastor said, yes, no, and grow, because he wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in our relationship with him. The third, the third condition is this, practicing joyful obedience. Look at what he says here. We'll cover this real quickly. In verse 5, he says, You have come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Now, this is going to be a hard word to, to hear, but you need to, you need to hear it and you need to receive it. The fact is that you cannot live in utter rebellion to God and think God is going to answer your prayers affirmatively. You cannot live opposed to the word of God and think that God is going to answer your prayers. You can't live outside the ethical bounds of Scripture and think that God is going to be, you know, working in your life and, and because he wants you to what? To conform to him. To joyfully obey him. Scripture says in, in, the, in, in the Psalms that if we cherish sin in our hearts, our, God doesn't hear us. If, you know, we're just hanging on to those things. Those parts of our lives that, that he wants us to surrender. See? So practicing joyful obedience. The fourth condition is this. Confess confess. Your, your spiritual condition. Confess your spiritual condition. He goes on here in these few verses, and, and he, says, he says this, is, but when we continue to sin against them, what is them? God's ways. Going back to the previous verse, God's ways. God has a way of doing things. God has a way he wants us to live our lives. God has a way he wants us to think. God has a way he wants us to believe, right? When we continue to sin against them, you're angry. How then can we be saved? And he goes on, and so this whole and he, and, he, and he talks about four areas of confession. But, but what is confession? 
It was amazing to me how, as human beings, how egocentric we are. Even though our hearts have been been crushed by God's love and been renewed by God's Spirit, right? And refreshed by Christ's example. But it's amazing to me how, how we just think we can hide things from God. That we can just, you know, hide stuff behind our back, right? I mean, it's just, it's, you know, I do it. I'm sure all of us here do it. But it's so, isn't it so egocentric that we can hide things from the omnipotent, omniscient God? You know what confession is? Confession is this. Confession is, is, is agreeing with God that our sins, thoughts, uh, or behaviors violate his holy desires for us. Confession is when we, what? We, we take these things out from behind our back, the things that we're hiding behind our back, we take them and we put them before God and we say, this is wrong. This, viola- this violates your holiness and your holy desires for me. See, that's when prayer gets real. That's when prayer gets dangerous, right? You know, we sang today about Lord, breaking us, right? Breaking us of our rebellion, breaking us of our willfulness, right? And so, so that whole idea of taking that sin, whatever it is, and putting it before the Lord and saying, God, I agree that this is wrong. And I come to you in the name of Jesus and I ask you to deal with this. Look what, he, look what he, he goes on and kind of describes four, four areas uh, uh, what they confess before God. And this is actually a good thing for us to kind of look through. As you, as you read God's Word and you ask God to search your heart and search your soul, right, and, to, and break your heart and conform it more to the image of Christ, these are actually some good prayers, the kind of good little four, four things that kind of uh, help search your heart. The first, one, the first thing they confess, they confess their their impurity before God. They say all of us will become like one who's unclean. So they, they confess this impurity in their heart, the darkness of their soul, right? And, you know, I don't need to go through a list of what that means because I think the Holy Spirit's speaking to people right now. You all know what that is. And if you ask the Lord to search you, He will show you what that is. And then you what? You take it out from behind your back and you confess it before God. He can, they, they confess their ineffective service. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. I used to use that verse in, in showing people that their good works can't get them to heaven. This is, but you know, that's probably a secondary application. The primary application is to God's people about the ineffective work of their, their service and full, being fully engaged in God's redemptive mission. And then they confessed they were spiritually weak. We all shrill up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We have, a, we have a yard full of trees, and so if it's full of trees, what's it going to be full of? Dead leaves, right? And a dead leaf is something that's disconnected from the life source. And when the leaf is dead and not connected to the life source, what? It can be blown here and blown there, Right? And they're confessing, man, we're spiritually weak because we're not connected to the life source. 
And then they, then, they connect, then they confess they were just disconnected from God. They're not learning to cling on to God. Look what he says in verse 7. No one calls in your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of your sins. Here's the thing. God doesn't show up in our prayer lives until we own up to our own spiritual condition of our hearts. The fifth condition, I love this, because this is, look, look at how this prayer ch- changes here. In verse 8, where he says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. See, the fifth condition is that we've got to appeal to the fatherhood of God. We've got to understand the fatherhood of God in our lives. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, he taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, right? And it's very interesting, here in the Old Testament, they use this father, father imagery, and, uh, and, and basically in the Old Testament, the whole context is that, that, that God was more, not so much an intimate father as he was more a father of a nation. When you see the fatherhood of God in the Old Testament, it's really talking about the father of a nation, a covenant relationship. But see, Jesus Christ died on the cross right was buried and rose again to what provide access to us intimate access for us before god's throne of grace and we can now run with boldness to the father in heaven and and that's what paul we even see that that's why jesus says now you need to call god father and paul goes a step further and says it's not just father it's abba father right daddy intimacy the confidence of running to god you know i grew up in a home and my dad and i had a rough relationship a lot of drugs and alcohol abuse and physical abuse all sorts of stuff like that and when i came to faith in christ and my friends told me i needed to dress god as father and were teaching me how to pray to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, I struggled with that. And I got bold and I told a friend why, you know, I struggled with that. You know, I'd rather talk to Jesus than to God as Father. And uh, my friend said to me, he said, Gary, you need to understand that when you talk to God as Father, that he's the perfect father. That he's the father you always wanted and more. And so I started praying that way. God started healing my relation, my heart and my relation with my father. And I began praying for my father. And 10 years after I came to Christ, my father came to Christ. And I had the honor of baptizing him, him in our church, at our church plant. And now when I hear my dad pray, our Father in heaven, my kids don't know this. I mean, they, they would never understand it. But when I hear my father pray, our Father in heaven, man, the healing in my heart by the amazing 
power of God's goodness and grace. See, you might have a challenge praying. I just want to encourage you to think of that, that God is the perfect Father, the Father you always wanted and more. Running to God, appealing to the, the fatherhood of God. And we do that, how do, how do we do that? We do it in a, in a, and I love this picture, I think I had the image up there. Yes, um, I love this image of the potter's wheel. You know, I, I did some pottery work as a kid and got a few trophies on my wall. I'm trying to box up as I move my office. But, uh, but you know, a potter, to do it well, you have to have strong arms, but a tender touch. Strong hands with a tender touch. Think about that. That's the way our Father deals with us. He has strong hands with a tender touch. And He's shaping and molding us and taking all of our experiences, all of our good experiences, all our bad experiences, all our trials, all our tragedies, all our difficulties, all our successes. And what's He doing? He's shaping you and I. He's shaping you and I. We have uh, three children. They're all grown. And, uh, you know, one of the things I had to, you, you have to do as a parent is you have to discipline your children every once in a while. And, uh, and so I was, uh, our kids were all at the dinner table, and our one child was acting up and just, just was being rude and, you know, ruthless and whatever, whatever a five-year-old can do, okay? And, uh, and so I, I was just got to this point where I'm, you're just being distractive and, and, uh, and, and it's not, not good. So I warned them once, warned them twice, and then in our family, three strikes, you're out, okay? Just like in baseball, okay? And uh, so I escorted that child. I escorted that child to their bedroom, and, uh, and said, you, no more, no dinner for you. You need to wrestle out whatever's going on in your spirit with God. You and God alone in your bedroom. You need to wrestle it out. Boy, I'm thinking I'm pretty smart, right? So I go downstairs, and, uh, and I'm sitting in the, we're sitting with the other kids in the dining room, and they're all like this, right? And, <laughs> and, uh, and we're sitting there, and we're going to continue our dinner. And, uh, um, and I ma- made the mistake, you know, I was thinking I was so smart, but I made the mistake that, that all of a sudden, I, we, their bedroom was right above the dining room. And so we heard this. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> You're not getting rid of me yet. <laughs> There's, you know, and we just let them kind of tire themselves out and, uh, and then went on and finished our dinner and, and went on. But a couple hours later, all of a sudden, I see this. You, ever, you know those parents where your kids want to be noticeably unnoticed? You ever see that? Where, so the shadowy figure was by the door of my, my den, and, uh, and they, were, they were doing this, peeking you know, around, the, around the door, and, uh, and I said, yes, do you have something to say? And I'm going, come on, and my, I get my kids, up. they got to come really close to me. So they came right next to my chair there, and, uh, and I said, yes, do you have something to say? I'm sorry for the way I behaved at the dinner table. Now, you know, if I was a mean, malicious father, I might have slapped him upside the head and said, get out of here. Go back to bed. No supper for you. But you know, I love my kids with all my heart. 
And so I grabbed that child, pulled him on my lap, and I said, I love you. I love you. But I didn't like what you were doing. And you're better than that. And we prayed together and cried together and then took him into the kitchen, gave him a little supper and took him up to bed and tucked him into bed. I don't know where you're at today in your relationship with Christ, but I know this. Everybody needs a hug from the Father. Everybody needs a hug from the Father. In the good times and the bad times, there's something just affirming. And the fact is that God, our Father, wants to embrace you. And as we celebrate communion, just celebrate that, that embrace and the sacrifice for him to do that embrace for us. See, there's, there, there's nothing, nothing dangerous when you're feeling, nothing feels dangerous when you're, when you're being embraced by the Father. You see, here's the thing. God wants to take those... Ugh, right? Those moments, those frustrations. And what do you what do you want to do? He wants to, he wants to, you know what when you do when when you get a good hug, you know what it does? It kind of you ever hug somebody and they're tense? Right? If you hold them long enough, they start to relax. Right? He wants to take those and makes them ah. I love the imagery of uh, my kids running to me. You know, like let's say they're starting there and they're running full force, right? Yeah, arms flailing, face gleaming, smile from ear to ear. Daddy, 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 daddy. And they run and then they jump into your arms. See? That's the way our Father in Heaven wants us to run to Him. Think about that as we prepare our hearts for communion today. Though those prayers might be dangerous, might be exposing, nothing is dangerous when you're in the arms of the Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you. And thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for everybody here today. And Father, I, I, I just know that there's someone here today that needs an affirming hug from you. Or maybe even some here today that need that first embrace. And Father, that embrace can come as they, they confess Christ as Lord and as the risen Lord and only Savior in their lives. And so, Father, we come today, and as we celebrate communion, we're reminded of the fact that we have access to a Holy Father because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.